I want to think for a while today about peace. Um, it's a theme for us today, and uh, I am struck by the idea that the angels, when they announced Jesus' birth, they said, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. said, here's what's going to happen when Jesus comes. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And yet, how much peace is out there? <laughs> and I wonder, this is a blessing that seems not to have been so effective when I look at the world. But it's not just peace out there. The question is, how much peace is in here? <laughs> in here, in each of our hearts. So I'd like to just ask a couple of generic questions, not the specifics for you, but I mean, it's not so generic. It's what are some of the things that can ruin our peace and invite you online? You can chat. I don't think we have the audio in the room right now, but you can chat in the room, shout out, what are some of the things that can ruin our peace? What are some of those things? Yeah. Sure, not putting God first in your life. Excellent. Or some other things that can ruin our peace. Poor health. Poor health, yes. Yeah. Somebody takes it away from you. Yeah, somebody takes that peace away. Yeah, yeah. Discord. Discord, yeah, conflict. Yeah. Our eyes and ears are gateway, so we watch and listen to negative things that also take away our peace. Yeah, so when we choose to, to watch and listen the negative things, yeah. The loss of a loved one. The loss of a loved one. Yeah, yep, thank you. Yeah. I was going to say death. Yeah, death. Yeah, yeah. Anxiety and stress. Anxiety and stress, yeah, so significant. Depression. Yep, depression. Yeah. What's it like when we don't have peace? What's it feel like? What's it do to us? What was that? It feels like torture. Yeah. What else would you say? What's it feel like when we don't have peace? Sad. Yeah. What was that? I'm still not here. Somebody help me with that. Poverty. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's a poverty. It can be a poverty uh, of you know finances, but of the soul of of yeah our our core being. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it could be searching and, and not sure that we'll find anything, but we have to look. Yes, lack of confidence was another one that causes this lack of peace. And yeah, something else. It's scary. Yeah, it's a frightening thing. Yeah. Mm, lack of love and support. Yeah. Mm, okay, become unconscious. Yeah, it's, it's such a significant thing, right? A heavy weight on your soul. This is a question I want to ask, but not have you answer out loud. But I do want you to take note of the question, and that is what's ruining your peace today. And my guess is it won't take long for us to say, well, here's one of those things, or here's some of the things. But So just make note of that. And I want to pray, First Peter, the book begins with this blessing. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And this is my prayer now. I want to lead us in prayer 
to say, God, may grace and peace be multiplied to us. Your grace and peace multiplied to us because we need it. And uh, I want to give you a moment to pray specifically about the thing that's stealing your peace. Say, God, I want peace here. Would you do that work? So let's join together and pray. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. God, that's our prayer. We pray that you would give your grace and peace, not just enough, but more than enough, multiplied peace. So I just invite each of us to to take a moment in silence to ask God for peace. Jesus, we ask you as the great, compassionate high priest to know us, to know what's taken our peace and that you would give us peace, your grace and peace multiplied to us. Would you speak through your word by the Holy Spirit today? In your name and your authority we pray. Amen. Uh, The title today is At Peace. Uh, We'll talk about this drawing in a little bit. We're looking at this passage that Joseph read for us a little bit ago from Luke 2. So I invite you to have that passage in front of you, and there are handouts, um, and uh, if that's helpful to you and following along. um, We are looking at this passage when this man Simeon says, I can die in peace. My life is complete. (laughs) Everything's okay. And so whether it's life or death, I have a sense of wholeness and well-being about me. And so we want to take a look at that. Uh, So I invite you to have the text. There is a a link there for the handouts as well. But let me just say a couple of words about uh, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, The Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke tells us the story of Jesus. But he was more than just an historian. He wasn't just telling us the story. He's not just a biographer. Luke, I'm convinced, is wanting to help us have a relationship with God through Jesus. In a genuine sense, a real relationship. And it's odd to think about God, an immaterial, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent being, and saying we have a relationship with him. But that's real. And I'm convinced Luke was trying to say, here is what it's like to know his love. Now, at this point in the story, um, just earlier in this chapter, Jesus had been born to a poor couple, Uh, He had been welcomed by poor shepherds and everybody else ignored him. He was nobody important in a place that wasn't an important place. And unimportant people were near him and paying attention. Then Jesus' parents, they followed the Jewish rules and traditions. Uh, They were doing their best to say, in our heritage, this is what we are to do. And so they followed that. And because of that, when Jesus was about 40 days old, they went to the temple in Jerusalem. A very unimportant family, humanly speaking, came to this great temple. And they were there to do what, uh, what the tradition, what the laws said was required. And so we see them there in the temple. So Luke 2, starting from verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, for for comfort and for salvation for Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. 
it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And we'll stop right there for a second, stopping, I know, in the middle of a verse. A place to stop, I think, and, and see some of these things. Here is this man in Jerusalem. We're told his name. He was really seeking after God. And this phrase, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for what God had promised. God had said, I will comfort, I will help my people. And Simeon was waiting for that. But when people wait in the Bible, it's not like waiting for the doctor to finally be ready to invite you back. And it's just waiting and waiting. This is somebody who had faith, who was watching for it, who was praying for it, who was anticipating it, who was confident in it. And Luke wants us to know that the Holy Spirit was a big deal in this. The Holy Spirit was on him. He, he had learned by the Holy Spirit that he was going to see the Messiah, that he was going to see the Son of God. And then even that day, the Spirit had led him into the temple that day. The Holy Spirit was actively involved in his life, and we don't know how. We don't know if it was a dream or a message or a sense that this is what he ought to do. We don't know. But we do know the Holy Spirit said, you're going to see the Messiah, and today's a good day to be at the temple. <laughs> It had been revealed in some way God had revealed his heart to him. Luke wants us to know, first of all, that Jewish people are the heroes of the story. <laughs> he wants us to know that, that the history of Judaism and the Jewish people, they aren't the enemy. <laughs> in fact, they are the ones who are central to trusting God. And I wonder, maybe Luke knew that in the early church that had become overwhelmingly non-Jewish, Gentile, Maybe in that community, they had started to judge and be arrogant and say, oh, that was a broken system and those are bad people. God turned from them and came to us. We know some of the early Christians believed that, that God has judged them and now he, he prefers us. And I'm convinced Luke wants to say, no, that's not the case. The work of God is among his people, the Jewish people who are following his ways and trusting him and God is at work. And he wants us to know that the Holy Spirit's work was central in the story of Jesus. And so Simeon is there anticipating that he will get to see the Messiah. And so then continuing the middle of verse 27. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So just stop there for a second. So Simeon is waiting there that day and the parents come in and somehow he says, I know this is them. We don't know if there is a request to Jesus' parents saying, uh, could I... You know, could I grab your child for a second? Or if he just came up and said, I'm going to hold this child and bless him. But he picked up this child and praised God. Literally, it's he blessed God. He says, God, you are so good. And he said, I'm okay dying now. My life is complete. I'm content. I've seen everything I need to see. I've seen your hand. You have let me see your salvation. And all he's looking at is a 40-day-old baby. <laughs> 
There's no indication that Simeon lived very long after this. He didn't get to see Jesus grow up and teach and, and be crucified and come to life again. But he says, I don't even need to see all that. I've seen this one that God is using to bring salvation. A light for all nations. To all peoples, he says. A revelation for the Gentiles, for the non-Jewish people to say, this is God's work for you. This is salvation for you. And glory for Israel. For Israel to say, what God was doing, he has done. What he promised has come true. And those who are faithful in, in seeking his ways, now we see that they were right. And this is good. And I think it's so significant from the very start of Christianity, from the start of Jesus' life. This was hope for Jewish and non-Jewish people, just like it had always been stated. But again, Luke says, from the very beginning, Jesus was proclaimed to be one who would bring life to all nations, to all peoples. And Simeon was completely content. His life was complete because he has seen this. Only the start But he says, that's enough, because I know God is doing the rest. So then verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Stop there for a second. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said. And I find it interesting. Luke says they marveled at what was said. I think if I were a parent then, I would marvel at how it was being done. (laughs) Somebody I don't know comes and picks up this baby and starts talking about him. But Luke says they marveled at what was said. It's a good question of what, what was marveling them, right? What was marvelous? And I wonder if what was marvelous is this clear declaration, here he is bringing salvation to the Gentiles and glory to Israel. Maybe marveled at the inclusion of all the nations. Maybe marveling at the sense that everybody's going to welcome and be excited about this. They marveled at this. And then Simeon turned and blessed them. Exactly the same word that was used for how he praised God. He blessed God and then he blessed them. And then he said something more to Mary. And it's interesting, he doesn't say this other part to Joseph as well, Jesus' father, and maybe, maybe he wasn't going to live long enough to see the conflict. That Mary was going to live long enough to see the conflict. But he said, Mary, not everybody is going to be so happy about Jesus. In fact, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many. That, that there will pe- be people, when they encounter Jesus, they reject him, and they will be judged for that. So in this sense, the gospel from the beginning, this good news, is said this is for all peoples of all nations. And yet it's not something that everybody will receive. That there will be many who will encounter this Messiah and reject him. He'll be a sign that's that's spoken against. And he says, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. To see what's really inside, what's really going on in people. And he makes this statement, the sword will pierce your own soul too. 
And it's been a puzzle to me and to others. I don't know. Here's one thought that might be valuable in that. Is Hebrews 4 says this is what the Word of God is like. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And it turns out that Mary's heart also needed some penetration. Even in the next story, she doesn't understand Jesus. Later on, she thinks Jesus is is kind of going crazy and he's just too involved in all this stuff and she comes to protect him from his mission, it seems. And Simeon says, Mary, even you need this work of God because you have thoughts that are not God's thoughts. And so this is a work that will be done and not everybody's going to be happy about it. It's an invitation, this good news, to peoples of every nation. And yet it's one that not everybody will accept. Then verse 36, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Benuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Here was a prophet. Um, hadn't been many prophets in Israel for a long time, but here Luke says, here's a prophet, Anna, and connects her to her heritage in Israel, saying, here she is, and perhaps because she represents the northern tribes, she was very old. Not sure I want a biblical description of my life that way, but she was very old, and we don't know. It's, it's a little bit confusing, apparently, in the text. So some translations say that she was a widow for 84 years. The NIV says that she was a widow until she was 84 years old at this point. She was old. She lived as a widow, but she lived as a model of faith, as an honor to her dead husband, and especially as an honor to God. She worshiped day and night. We're not to see this as she never slept and never left the temple, but this is the pattern of her life. She worshiped. She would pray. And I'm convinced this fasting and praying was for exactly what she got to see. She's been fasting and praying that the salvation for God's people would come, that this consolation would come. She's been saying, God, when will you deliver your people? And so we don't get as many details about her, but we see this very moment, clearly the Holy Spirit prompting her as well. At this very moment, she comes up to give thanks to God and to speak about the child to people. Again, a vertical, she gives praise to God and then speaks to people. And you notice the group of people she speaks with, all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. There was a group of people who would be in the temple saying, God is going to do this work. God is going to bring salvation, his consolation. And they were there, eager for it. And here she is. And Luke often does this. He will, he will match uh, a model of, of uh, a male and a female and say, here's Simeon, and he had faith, and he proclaimed. And here's Anna, she had faith, and she proclaimed. And I'm convinced that this old widow was a model of a life blessing God and people. 
in a society that thought an old widow was not very valuable. (laughs) And yet he says, I'm going to hold her up and say, this is a model of what it is to be faith-filled and to follow God. To minister in his kingdom is to pray, to thank God, and to speak to people about the wonder of what God is doing. The message in this section that God has accomplished deepest and unbreakable peace. He has done this. God has accomplished this deepest and unbreakable peace that's offered to all people of all nations who trust in Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. God has done this. Simeon says, my life is complete, which I think is an expression that humanity is complete because God has brought peace. He's brought a peace that's not breakable by human beings. It's the peace of God. It's offered to the peoples of all nations, to all who will trust in Jesus Christ. And it is by the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I have a biology question. Um, So this is a quiz. Uh, Which is the biggest single living uh, organism? Oh, I already have some ideas. Yes. Humpback whale. Good. Do we have another idea? On honey mushroom. Okay, good. You got me. Here is the blue whale. This can be over 100 feet long. I'm reading my notes. 198 tons. Can't see that very well. That's a giant sequoia tree. This is just huge. 380 feet. So you know there's a tower out over this way, the, the radio tower that sticks way above everything? This tree is a third the height, more than a third the height of that tower. You imagine looking over there and just seeing this one tree sticking out above everything else. So this one's a surprise. The, uh, this is uh, the Pando Forest. That is one tree. It actually is a tree where the roots go down and go over and grow up and go down and over and grow up. It is one tree. And it covers uh, 106 acres, something like that. Apparently the trees all change color at once because it's one tree. But yes, as you said, The honey mushroom, right? So there it is, that little mushroom. That's the biggest living organism, single living organism on earth. It's actually called, you ready for this? The humongous fungus. (laughs) It's even got a cool name. The humongous fungus is in Eastern Oregon. It's a single fungus, right? It's a single single living organism that covers some 2,300 acres And it might weigh 35,000 tons. There's some debate about this because nobody's dug it up, right? (laughs) It's this giant thing. And all you can see are those little mushrooms growing up. And so here's a a drawing that Karen did for us. It gives a little bit of the feel for it. You can see at the base of these trees just a little bit of mushroom. Just a little bit. And it's the biggest single living organism on the planet, at least that we know about, because we haven't dug up everything else. <laughs> there is one of these apparently in the Upper Peninsula too, that's rather large, but this one, the humongous fungus is the biggest one. And what you see down below is where the vast majority of its life is. It's kind of hard on the trees up above it sometimes. <laughs> but the reality is that over 99% of the fungus lives hidden underground. Somebody said it's roughly like if the only thing that were above ground in an apple tree was apples, it's kind of like that. The entire tree is buried and you just see a little bit of its fruit up above. And that's what these are like. So to see this fungus, you have to know what to look for. 
right? And sometimes it's not even visible as a fungus sticking out. You've got to chop the bark off trees. And, and even if you know what to look for, you'll only see a tiny part of this humongous fungus. So, what's above the line and what's below the line? When Simeon and Anna went to the temple that day, they saw something above the line, right? They saw a baby with a poor mother and father. And that's what they could see with their eyes. And yet, they could see below. They saw the massive invisible reality, the below the line of the work that God was doing through this baby, right? Only a tiny bit you could see up top, but Simeon and Anna at the temple said, that's it, and that's enough. (laughs) It might not look like much, but it represents this amazing work of God that he was doing. God was altering human history and cosmic history through this baby. That wasn't important enough for anybody else to pay attention to. But Simeon and Anna could see it. If you go forward in the the life of the church, some people got to see other fruit, the the above the line, the things that were that that God was doing and and this stuff that was happening on the top of this fruit was because of this unseen reality below the line of the amazing work that God was doing. Some people got to see that. Simeon and Anna did not, but that was okay because they knew what was under their feet as soon as they saw this baby. So you fast forward to us. We live so much of our lives without seeing dramatic things above the lines. There are places and there are people in history and in the world today who who speak of these powerful things they see God doing, and it's a wonderful thing. I have never seen somebody come back to life from the dead. Not many people have. I've never seen that. I've never seen 3,000 people turn to Christ in one day. Some people get to see that. I don't. But it's not only that we don't see the dramatic things, In fact, above the line so often, we see so much trouble. We see conflict. We see injustice. We see hatred. We see sickness and trouble, even among God's people. But the call is, like Simeon and Anna, we're to trust the promises of God's hidden work below the line. The psalmist put it this way. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, and now he describes what he sees above the line. We will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. He says, even when the foundations of the world that I can see are crumbling, God is a refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble because below the line, he is faithful and he is good and he's at work. So the call for us is like Simeon and Anna to trust what is below the line, what's below our feet, what we can't see. And when we do that, like Simeon, we can experience peace. And when we experience peace, then we can bless God and we can bless people. I just want to highlight some of the things that that we say below the line. I might not see it, I might not feel it, but here's the reality of what is going on below the line. Jesus always lives to intercede for those who trust him. Jesus, the creator of the world, who will rule forever, 
is working right now for those who will trust him. Right now, he is working for those who are in trouble and saying, I need help, and he's working. He is doing this. He lives to intercede for people. This is his purpose now, is to serve people who are in need. And so often we don't see it, but here's the promise. It's real. We read in in Romans that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And here's his purpose, that we would be conformed to the image of his son. God is working everything together. He says all that mess above that line, all that mess, God is working that together for the purpose of making us more like him. Of making us share in his character. To love like he loves and, and, and to have a measure of his wisdom and love and power. He is at work doing this. Another thing Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades of, of hell will not overcome it. And I know for many people, we've, we've looked at what calls itself the Christian church and sometimes people think, I don't know. It doesn't look so good to me. And yet Jesus says, I will build my church and evil will not conquer it. This is the the hidden promise and work of God. He is doing that today. And Jesus made the promise. He said that he would go and prepare a place for us. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This is the hidden work of God. Whatever happens above the line, he says, I'm coming back to take you with me. I'm preparing a place. I'm going to take you home to the place you're meant to be, a place where all the trouble is gone. Right? God has accomplished deepest and unbreakable peace offered to all people of all nations who trust in Jesus Christ by the work of his spirit. He has done that. And when Simeon and Anna saw this baby in the temple, they believed it. They believed that work has been done and it gave them a peace that nothing could break. Application is simply trust God. Trust God for what he says is there. Believe his promises for what is happening below the line. I don't know what everybody faces, but I've had enough conversations with enough people to know there are some pretty heavy things that people in our congregation face, that people who are loved by us in the congregation that we face. And so this is no simple thing to trust God, but to believe that what he says is happening below the surface is happening below the surface. We're to believe his promises. We're to watch and to pray for his work above the line, to say, where is the indication? Simeon and Anna wanted to go to the temple because they wanted to see just that little bit above the line. And once they could see that, they say, there it is. God's doing it. So it's good to watch and to pray like Anna was doing, fasting and praying, saying, God, we want to see your work. We long for it. We watch for it. And we trust the Holy Spirit to help us do that. And then the beautiful thing is that we trust God so that we can First of all, bless God. It's an amazing thing. It literally says, Simeon blessed God. He says, God, boy, are you good? It's an amazing thing that you've done. We bless God by trusting him. We say, I know you're at work. I know you are. It doesn't look like it, but I know you. And 
you know how this goes with friends, right? If you know somebody well and there's silence, you work to trust them. <laughs> and you say, oh, I bet they're angry with me now, right? <laughs> and it's like, we, we start to wonder, we start to question, or somebody makes a comment, we think, oh, I think that might have been an attack against me. But if we know people well, we honor them by saying, I know you wouldn't do that to me. <laughs> and so we bless God when we trust him and we can't see his hand. We can't tell what it is that he's doing, but we trust him and by trusting him, we bless him. And we bless God by giving him thanks as Anna did. She, she said, thank you, God, for your promises and for the work we see. She says, God, you promised this and, and that's good. And she said, and I can see it happening. And that is so good. We trust God so that we can bless God and so that we can bless people, as both Simeon and Anna did. We bless people by telling his promises for what is happening below the line. To say, you know what? It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't look like it. But God is at work. God is doing things we cannot see, we cannot detect. And oh, I wish the promises of God were like the giant sequoia. (laughs) You know, the giant sequoia goes 300 and some odd feet the roots only go down something like 10 or 12 feet. Essentially, all of the growth of the sequoia that that goes high, I mean, that goes vertical, is above. Hardly any of it is hidden below the ground. And this honey mushroom is the opposite. Only a tiny bit is visible, but it's a much greater, much larger organism. This is what God's work is like. And we need to encourage each other and say, but know that God's great work is happening, even when we can't see it. And we need to bless people by telling of his goodness above the line. To to say, you know what, I have seen God at work. And let me tell you testimony of what he has done and, and where I have seen his hand in dark days, in challenging times. We bless people by saying God has proven himself faithful. And we are to bless people by joining his goodness above the line. God's people are called to be a part of living out his promises. And so we join in this. And so here's a wonderful thing. When we have his unbreakable peace, we can give attention to others and their needs. (laughs) It's really hard to bless others when we're not at peace. When we're afraid we won't get enough, when we're afraid of the people who are attacking us, when we're in turmoil about our own struggles, and when we don't have peace, we tend not to be a blessing to others. In fact, we tend to steal from their peace as well. (laughs) See, we're to trust God so that we can bless him and so that we can bless others as Simeon and Anna did. God has accomplished deepest and unbreakable peace offered to all people of all nations who trust in Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't think this will unsettle anybody, but I want you to imagine something a second. I want you to imagine being afraid that the chair you're sitting in is about to break, right? What does that do to you, right? It's like, oh no, you know, I, I'm going to hold onto the sides of the chair. It's a little bit like people who are afraid of flying and they think that if I hold tight, that'll make the plane fly better, right? <laughs> and it's not going to do it. But, but we think if I'm not confident in the chair I sit in, now every creak, I think, oh no, maybe that's the break, right? I don't lean back, for, I can't relax, right? If, if I'm afraid that this thing won't hold me, 
I don't have peace. I can't pay attention. I can't contribute to others. Now imagine, first of all, not being afraid and just saying, no, I can sit here with contentment. But even more, imagine trusting God's loving care for you and saying, God is at work even in a chair if it breaks, to trust that. And so then what I want you to imagine is that even if that chair breaks, you end up on the ground and you say, this ground is filled with the goodness of God, of his work below the line. Even if the chair breaks, what I'm going to land on, in addition to a hard floor, but, but what I'm going to land on is the loving, powerful promise and work of God. That he says, I'm going to work all of this together for your good and you're going to thank me for it because I can do that. So I want to go back to the question I asked you before. What's ruining your peace today? What is ruining your peace? And, and, and I would think of it like being afraid this chair won't hold me. And in any moment I'm going to drop and be broken. What's stealing your peace? Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. You trust in God. Believe also in me. And this wonderful thing that a life at peace in Christ is free to bless God and to bless people. So the invitation is to trust him. And I, I want to just take a, a moment to practice this, to do this. Um, and so I'm going to give us a chance to pray. And um, I want to just pray uh, simply to walk us through this prayer. We pray to Jesus and say, you know what, I can't carry this anymore. This worry, this, this trouble, this lack of peace, this difficulty, I can't carry it anymore. And to say, I choose to trust you. I choose to trust you, to trust your promises, and to trust your work that is so often unseen. And then to say, I ask for your Holy Spirit's help because my trust is weak. And I need your work just like Simeon needed it. So I'm going to lead us in prayer and just guide us in these things and just invite you in silence to pray. So let's pray. We do come to you, our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, our Father, who is a God of love and rich mercy. We come, and Father, we confess, we've been trying to carry worries and burdens that we can't carry anymore. And if this is you, I just invite you to hand it to him and to say, I can't carry this burden, this worry, this trouble. I want to trust you instead. Cry out to him. And then I invite you to pray, to choose to trust. To say, Jesus, I trust in you and your promises and your work that is unseen. And I don't know what you're going to ask of me in that. I, I, I will follow his trust. But I choose to trust you. Cry out to him. And then we pray to ask for God, the Holy Spirit, to help us. We need you, Holy Spirit, because our trust is weak. 
Yet we ask for your work, for your kindness, for your power. Cry out to him. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your goodness, for your love, for your promises, for your work. We thank you that we can turn to you because we're a people who need help and we find help in you. So I pray that you would give us this deep and unbreakable peace so we'll trust your promises for the work that you are doing that we so often cannot see and yet you are doing it. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping us and for the confidence that we have in your goodness, Jesus, and your return to take us to be with you. In your name we pray. Amen.